You're listening to Sunday Worship at Weddington Methodist Church. Find more ways to worship, fellowship, serve, study, and be supported at weddingtonchurch.org. I invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to the Gospel according to Mark. Mark chapter 1, we'll begin at verse 1. That's the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Where Mark writes, The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it was written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the people of the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word, for the privilege now of studying it together. And God, as I stand before these, your people, this is your church. So I pray that this would be your message and not my own. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. There was a movie that we sometimes watch called A Knight's Tale. Now, I will share with you, it's a PG-13 movie, and obviously there's a couple of things in there I wish they had edited out, but you know our world today. But in that movie, there is a young man called William Thatcher. He's a peasant squire, a very poor guy born to a poor family, and the squire was one who took care of a knight. Now, he was poor, He was hungry. Young male obviously wants a lot to be able to eat as he's growing and living. And he had all kinds of dreams. His dream actually was that he himself someday could be a knight. He dreamed of that from the time he was a little boy. But the problem is a knight, a knight was one of the most prestigious people. They had some of the highest social standing and they were revered. They had money, they had food. But this young man was not from nobility. He was a commoner. He was a peasant. So the idea of being a knight would truly just be a dream. That reality was something so far it seemed out of reach. Now, William's master was Sir Ector. And he was in a jousting competition, and between some of the bouts, he unexpectedly dies. And he was so close to winning, only one more match, 
and, and he could have won the tournament, and that would have given them the money and the wins and the spoils, and they could have received food and, and had so much at their disposal. And, and yet here now their master knight has died do they just withdraw? What do they do? And all of a sudden, young William has the idea, if he puts on his armor and he rides his horse and he gets into the jousting match, no one will know that it's him because they can't see his face. And although his friends thought it was a bad idea, he finally talks them into it. They need the money. They really want to buy some food. And this young man puts on the armor, finishes the tournament, and because he is so unafraid, he actually wins the tournament, wins the money. They're able to buy some things and share the loot among themselves, and then it hits him. Now's his chance. Is this the opportunity for a little boy's dream of becoming a knight to actually come to be if no one knows who he really is? And so he takes on that armor, and he's looking to enter other contests, but it's challenging. You've got to have this patent of nobility that shows who you are and your noble lineage. And they come across this young man who's down on his luck by the name of Geoffrey Chaucer. Obviously, this is part of the Canterbury Tales. But Geoffrey Chaucer, this poet has a gambling problem, he's down on his luck, he's lost everything, and he agrees for a share to come up with this patent of nobility. He will write up this bogus thing that, that presents nobility for this young man, and, and he does so and names him Sir Uric von Lichtenstein. Well, it sounds like an impressive name, and not only that, to introduce each night before they would have this jousting tournament, you had to have someone to do the introductions. And here, this great poet, Geoffrey Chaucer, becomes the one to introduce him. My lords, my ladies, I have the pride, the privilege, no, the pleasure of introducing to you. And then he describes in this elaborate way this young knight who's going to come in. Thus the story is told. Well, John the Baptist's role is one of those of introducing to the world what God was about to introduce through the Christ child. His job was to prepare the world, to prepare all those who were about to be able to receive this gift from God, hear the word, ladies and gentlemen, Hear ye, hear ye. I mean, that's his message is God is about to do this incredible thing. Prepare yourselves. Get ready to receive because there's one who is coming. That's interesting when you read the Gospels. Sometimes I like to ask the trivia question. How many of the Gospels tell a birth story of Jesus? And since there are four Gospels, most people will go, there's four. It's not true. It's actually two. You could argue John possibly is three. But read it. I mean, Matthew will tell us the story about the birth of the Christ and then the wise men coming. Luke will tell us about the birth of the Christ and the shepherds who are abiding in the field. It's from Luke that we get the whole manger scene, that nativity scene that we desperately love. John, John's the theologian, and he will tell us in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then verse 14 
the Word becomes flesh and dwells among us. But Mark, there's no story about a baby. There's nothing about a star in the sky leading wise men. There's nothing about angels appearing to shepherds and guiding them to a nativity scene. There's nothing about the little Lord Jesus asleep in the hay. He begins with John the Baptist proclaiming this message because for Mark, when you read Mark, there is a sense of urgency. There is a sense of immediacy. God is doing this absolutely incredible, amazing thing by intervening and coming into our world in the form of human flesh. God Himself living among us, Jesus the Christ. It blows Mark's mind and he cannot wait to tell you the story. Moves straight into John the Baptist preparing the way. God sent... This one who was to announce, ladies and gentlemen, I present to you. And that's the role of John the Baptist. Now, Lamar Williamson Jr., who writes a commentary on the gospel according to Mark, shares with us that in this short passage, we see three things that are happening. And the first one is expectancy. I mean, the people are so ready to hear a fresh word from God. It's been so long, it seems, since God has acted in a decisive way that God has spoken to the people. And now all of a sudden there's this message, there's this prophet who's saying to prepare the way of the Lord and, and, and people are coming. They're so hungry to hear this word that from the whole Judean countryside of Israel, people are coming to the Jordan to hear this message. And, and we're told that all of Jerusalem, obviously a little hyperbole, but what we're being told is, is that masses of people from the countryside and the city of Jerusalem itself are coming out to the Jordan to hear this message. They're receiving this message. They are being baptized. Even the Jewish historian Josephus writes and shares about the throngs of people who were drawn to hear John the Baptist's message. There was excitement. There was anticipation. There was expectation because God was doing this incredible thing. This almighty God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is intervening once again in our world. And God has sent this prophet who was a reminder of Elijah. And the prophecy said that Elijah himself would return and prepare the way of the Messiah the Christ, the anointed one of God, and Elijah, not, John the Baptist rather, not only sounds like Elijah, he looks like it. And you read Malachi 4 verse 5, and the scripture says, Lo, I will send to you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And Elijah's appearance, as we read in the scripture in 2 Kings 1 verse 8, says that he was a hairy man with a leather belt around his waist. This was Elijah, the Tishbite. Ah, John the Baptist looks just like 
what we imagine Elijah to have looked like. And he's proclaiming these words and he's quoting from Isaiah. And then Mark quotes the scripture and says, see, in Malachi 3 verse 1, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you will seek will suddenly come into his temple. And then from Isaiah 40 verse 3, these scriptures are tied together, kind of woven together, where we hear a voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Oh, it's got to be. He sounds like the prophet. He looks like the prophet. We were told that the prophet is coming. And now there's this message and you have a sense of anticipation. And John the Baptist appears and he begins to proclaim this message. But the message he proclaims may not have been the one they were expecting. But he says, if you're getting ready for this, then the first thing you need to do is to repent. Well, that Greek word for repentant is metanoia. And metanoia actually means to change your mind. It means to, to turn around. It means to, to change your heart or to change your, your will, to change what you're doing, your conduct, how you're living. It means to, to turn back toward God, toward the embrace of God to be who God is calling us to be. It means to confess where we've messed up and to turn into the loving arms. The Wesley Study Bible notes, says that repentance is not just a feeling of regret, but an ordering of one's life in such a way as to be acceptable to God. Repentance. Repent, John says, for the forgiveness of sins. Now, one of the things to think about is which comes first, the chicken or the egg? And John Calvin reminds us that repentance is not the first thing and then forgiveness, but God has actually offered us forgiveness first, and then we respond to receive that forgiveness with repentance. He said, Repentance is not placed first, as some ignorantly suppose, as if it were the ground of the forgiveness of sins, or as if it induced God to begin to be gracious toward us. But people are commanded to repent, he said, that they may receive the reconciliation which is offered to them. The point that John is making, again, is, is not this angry finger of God pointing down to you going, you awful people, you need to repent. But rather, it's the loving arms of God that's already offering us forgiveness and reconciliation and grace going, please turn into my embrace. You've heard me share about repentance before. I think we in the church have misconstrued repentance so much that it sounds like an angry God ready to condemn when actually it's a loving God pleading for us, please turn around, please fall into my loving arms. Please come into the embrace. When we read those Greek words of Forgiveness, which is ephesus, is the word for, for pardon or forgiveness. It, it means pardon. 
When we think of someone being pardoned, that does not mean they were determined to be guilty. We now claim them not guilty. No. When someone is pardoned, they're still guilty. It's just the consequences are removed. The consequences are relieved. And so in spite of our sin and our guilt, all of a sudden God says, I forgive you. And one of the beautiful things that we study from the Old Testament to the New Testament is God's ability to forgive our brokenness, forgive us, to pardon us, and never remember again what we had done. It's a beautiful thing that John the Baptist is actually calling out for. I'm begging you to repent, to turn to change, so you can receive this pardon from God so that you can be forgiven for your sins. And that Greek word is harmatia, which means where you've missed the mark, where you've messed up, where you've turned away from God, where we've not been exactly who God has called us to be, God is willing to forgive us for that, pardon us for that, and receive us into his arms. All you have to do is repent, turn, confess that we need this grace of God, and fall into the loving arms that are already outstretched for you. It's the message. Why? Because John the Baptist says you need to repent and be ready because God is coming to us. Now, we, we talked on the first Sunday of Advent that that word Advent means coming. And, and we talk about the coming of Christ the first time as the Christ child and the coming again of Christ in the return of Christ. And, and John is sharing God is coming to us. And then even though he has throngs of people, all the Judean countryside, all Jerusalem, so many people coming to him, he looks at all the crowds and he goes, and it's not me. Actually, he said, I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. Now, for some of us, we may go, why would he do that? Well, again, remember in biblical times, people traveled most places by walking. And so when they would enter into someone's home... Of course, their feet were dirty from the journey. And one of the things that you did as a host in someone's home was that you would actually take off their shoes or have a servant or a slave who would take off their shoes and wash their feet. So catch what John the Baptist is saying. Even though there are throngs of people around him, he's going, it's not about me. Actually, he said, I'm not even worthy to, to take on the role of a servant to him, a slave to him. I'm not even worthy to get on my knees before him and untie the thong of his sandals, which is one of the most humble, humiliating roles. And I can't even do that. This is so big what God is doing. And I baptized you with water, but he... He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It's Advent and Mark. When Mark writes his gospel, it's not that he didn't love the stories of the wise men 
Surely he knew the stories. Actually, it's believed Mark wrote his gospel first and that Matthew and Luke both use Mark's gospel as their outline for theirs. That's why they're called the synoptics. Mark had heard those stories. He had heard the stories of the star and east. He had heard the stories of the angels calling out to the shepherds. He had heard the stories that there was no room in the inn and and that Jesus was born in the stable. He had heard the stories of the child Jesus. And it wasn't that he didn't value them. He just went, you can't believe this. I hear you, hear you. you. Listen carefully. Ladies and gentlemen, You need to know God is doing this incredible thing and he shares at the very beginning of verse 1, this is the beginning of the good news, the gospel of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. And for Mark, there's not a bigger story. And we're going to jump right into what God is doing for your salvation. And he wants us to be ready to receive the Christ child. And not only that, he wants us to be ready to receive the return. Mark is writing to a church years after Jesus has ascended into heaven. And he is waiting for the coming, the second advent of the Christ. So Mark's message to us, He tells us, John the Baptist, God God was doing something so big that he sent a prophet like John the Baptist to go out among the crowds and to share, ladies and gentlemen, hear ye, hear ye. This is the beginning of the good news of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. Draw near, he says, make ready for the coming of the Christ. Confess where you've missed the mark, your sins. Repent and turn into the loving arms of this amazing God. Receive this gift of forgiveness and pardon for your sins. And be baptized into this faith and received into the amazing arms of God so that you can experience the gift of Christmas. There's nothing that Mark wants more than for you and me to be ready for Christmas. And that is the message of John the Baptist. Ladies and gentlemen, receive the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen.